Facebook.com and the DLF family of podcasts. It's me, it's me, it's that old SFD roaming the streets of Superflexity. And this is the Superflex Super Show. Here we go. I'm just waiting for the, the earth to open up and swallow me or a bolt of lightning to hit me or something. This this format has been cursed uh, throughout this non-point scoring season. The last two times I tried to do this, flying solo today, it's just me. It's just that old SFD. Last time I tried to do this, uh, I got sick and like very sick and wasn't able to record for a week. And then by the time I finally got to it, the questions that I had received were no longer particularly relevant. The time before that, I tried to do this and all my equipment went down. Uh, particularly the uh, my my computer, but the mixing board as well. And man, just just felt like this. Like I said, this this format, this episode is is just kind of cursed. But I mean, so far so good. We're almost you know we're we're a few minutes into this thing already, and uh, nothing bad has happened just yet. Uh, other than the fact that you. For you, you hit play and uh, were able to hear the sound of my voice. So condolences, uh, because this is going to be a very opinionated episode. <laughs> this is that's that's what I love about these solo episodes, uh, these ask me anything episodes. Like I I have so much fun talking with my guests. I've had a great run of guests uh, throughout this non-point scoring season. Lately, I've had a, a, some very good ones. Most recently, Peter Howard. Um, on deck is Zach Reed, Tacit Assassin. Like, this, it, it's just been this, this dream lineup of guests. But every now and then, you get a little tired of just like letting, <laughs> letting people say what they want to say. You just want to get on here and say what you want to say. Say your own thing, you know? Uh, and, and it also gives us a chance to kind of reset, refocus. It kind of gives us that, that center point to come back to, to focus on, you know, that Northern star, uh, we get to, we've, we've collected a bunch of opinions. We've collected a lot of wisdom, uh, but now we just get to come right back to right back home to, you know, to our, to our home base here which is quarterback extreme, it's a super flex flywheel, it's Derek Carr is trash, it's uh, wide receivers are boring, it's you know running back revolution is on the way, things like that. Like That's all the, that's all the stuff that we get to just kind of come back to, and that's exactly what we're going to do. But I did put it out there, ask me anything episode here, got a lot of questions, Mostly from Peter Howard. I'm gonna run through those real quick, Peter. All right, I'm yeah. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read these questions from Peter Howard. Uh, let's see, is Amon Ross St. Brown actually an Egyptian deity? I mean, like clearly, right? I I've, I'll be honest. I've never seen Amon Ra without his helmet on. Like for all I know, he's got like the you know the the cat mascara and stuff like he he very well could be for all I know. 
Um, Rashad Bateman is good. Fight me. Um, somewhat agree on Bateman. Fully agree on fight me. Uh, we'll definitely, we can definitely do that. Uh, let's see. Why do you not like Justin Jefferson? People are saying you think he stinks, so it must be true. Yeah, I mean, what has the guy ever accomplished, right? <laughs> I'm just I'm just kidding. I mean, like clearly he's a dynasty wide receiver one. Uh I don't think he stinks like individually. I think his position kind of sucks um right now, but it you know, it's it's First of all, it's really just a a matter of it's just really deep, and that's that shouldn't be a bad thing, right? It should that should be a good thing that we've got a lot of wide receivers to choose from. I guess it just kind of the you know the ultimately kind of the conclusion that we that we can draw from that though is there are a lot of ways to get wide receiver scoring. It doesn't have to be Justin Jefferson. It doesn't have to be Jamar Chase. Yeah, like it's he's still he's dynasty wide receiver one. I think he's a little bit of an advantage. Let's be honest about something though. Just just between you and me, super flex super friend. Let's just just you know put your ear up against the speaker, and uh, let let me tell you a little secret here. Justin Jefferson is going to disappoint a lot of people this year. It's blasphemous for me to say. I know that. It's just repeating the type of season he just had, a record-breaking season, you know, elite level, like all-time great level consistency. Somebody does that every year, but it's never the same person. So, you know, while I still think that Justin Jefferson, you know, he gives you... He gives you just as much, if not more, of a floor than anybody else. The difference in 2022 was just him actually hitting that floor consistently over and over. Just about every week he did that. And it's very, very unlikely to happen again in 2023. You're really kind of better off taking a shot at somebody who hasn't done it yet. You know, I kind of think Jamar Chase is a great example of this. Now, don't get me wrong. I still would rather have Justin Jefferson in Dynasty just because of the floor that he does give you. Uh, The scoring floor, both weekly and season long. I would still prefer Justin Jefferson. But, you know, if you want to shoot the moon, and especially if if we're talking redraft, or even, you know, if if you want to really make a a big bet in your dynasty league. You move off of Justin Jefferson and you go for somebody with, you know, with that wide receiver one overall upside, acknowledging that Justin Jefferson no longer has that for the season. He could be wide receiver two overall. He could easily do that. But as far as that guy who has the Justin Jefferson, Cooper Cup, Stephon Diggs type of season... You know, Antonio Brown type of season, Devontae Adams type of season, you know, that that consistency every single week. You know, I you you take a shot on someone who hasn't done it yet. So I you know, between you and me, 
for redraft purposes, I, especially at, at cost, I would prefer C.D. Lamb. I kind of think that he's he's the most likely to do it. I do think Amon Ross St. Brown is right there as well in the conversation, but I think C.D. Lamb is kind of the guy that I've that I've ultimately pinpointed here to be, you know, a very good chance to be wide receiver one overall for the season. Good offense, um, you know, credible running game. Um, you know, the, the quarterback play we know doesn't totally matter for wide receivers, but you know, where it does matter is the ability to extend drives, sustain drives and extend drives, uh, you know, get into scoring range, um, and then, you know, complete passes to his top weapons. I mean, Dak Prescott's as good as anyone as far as that goes. So, you know, there's, and there's not a whole lot of competition for targets, I don't know if I'm saying this the right way to satisfy Peter Howard here, but uh, you know, it's I I don't see anybody else on that offense who you know Brandon Cooks is going to be fine. He's he's gonna he's a good wide receiver too, but who really challenges C.D. Lamb for targets in that offense? Who really just commands a heavy workload that would keep him away from? you know, 25, 30% of the target share. I I really like CeeDee Lamb this year. That would be my my preference. Now, if they were both available, like it with the third pick uh, in my redraft snake draft, I mean, I'm still taking Jefferson, right? Like it's, you still go with the guy who, who gives you the, the highest floor. But... You know, if I miss on Justin Jefferson and I'm left with CD Lamb, I got what I wanted at quarterback and possibly even running back. Now it's time to look at receiver in a redraft league. CD Lamb is still there. I'm ecstatic. I love the upside. I love the you know, the the potential. I love the that that wide receiver one, you know, weekly consistency, unfair advantage role is that's in play for him. It's not for Justin Jefferson, you know, and, and I call that a narrative, but the reality is it just, it, you know, Antonio Brown repeated, I believe once, but like beyond that, nobody does it. Nobody does it in back-to-back seasons. So uh, anyways, I mean, you know, back to Justin Jefferson and why I think he stinks. I mean, I guess the other thing is, uh, I was told that uh, Christian Watson has more upside. So, yeah, I, I jumped off the Justin Jefferson train right then and there. Um, like, kidding, obviously, but, like, l- let me also say wide receiver upside is not really a thing to chase. Um, I, I mean, wide receiver one overall upside, that's something that we'd be interested in. But on an individual basis, what's Christian Watson's upside? I really don't care. That's not something to even think about, <laughs> much less chase. You know, like, again, the, the, the advantage with Justin Jefferson in 2022, it wasn't that he was going out and hitting his ceiling every week. I mean, he did that a couple times, but it, it's, you know, it's not like he was just scoring 40 points every single week or anything like that, which that's his upside, by the way. 
I mean, it, it, how do you want to define upside? That's part of the question. Are we talking on a weekly basis, every week? What is this guy's upside? You know, and for most wide receivers, it's the exact same number. What is their upside for the entire season? I mean, their floor times 17. Like, that's the upside. So the advantage with Justin Jefferson was just the ability to hit the the floor consistently, not every single week, but close to it. That was that was the advantage. It wasn't anything about his upside that was it's not that his upside was so much greater than anybody else's. It's that he was consistently at his floor. And that's what we're looking for. And do I believe Christian Watson can even establish a floor, much less consistently hit it? I don't. Uh, we haven't seen that from him. And we are we and that was with Aaron Rodgers, right? That's with an all-time great at quarterback, one of the most accurate passers of all times. And we still couldn't get a consistent floor out of Christian Watson. Now you get Jordan Love, who mostly in, inexperienced, you know, otherwise we just haven't seen anything to like in and, and the Packers don't seem to feel particularly strongly about Jordan Love. I mean, they only gave him a one-year deal. If they felt if they felt overly optimistic about Jordan Love, they would have extended his contract more than a year. So, yeah, it's it's there's not a whole lot of of you know reason for excitement with that offense anyways. But again, Christian Watson, you know, he like he he needs touchdowns, he needs splash plays, and I don't know how much of that is going to be available to him in this offense anyways. But above all else, if you want to talk about his upside, first you have you have to tell me what his floor is. And then you have to tell me what is the path to him consistently being at that floor on you know on a weekly basis. That's how he gets to the season-long number that represents his ceiling. That's how any wide receiver does it. It's not just Christian Watson. So, yeah, Justin Jefferson has more upside. That's just the bottom line. They have the exact same ceiling on a weekly basis. Although, man, it's it's a little tough to say that even because Justin Jefferson just he gets more volume and it's a more it's a higher volume offense. So you know, the there's slightly more ceiling on a weekly basis for Justin Jefferson. Slightly higher floor, but he's also just going to hit it more. That's that's all we're really talking about there. So, you know, to talk about wide receiver upside is just kind of this like it's it's a sneaky little fallacy that that goes mostly undetected. You know, so anyways, yeah, I, that's all of that is to say that, uh, yeah, apparently I hate Justin Jefferson. Um, so yeah, you suck Justin Jefferson. Rashad Bateman is good. Fight me. We already read that one. Um, I, Rashad Bateman's fine. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't think that adding Odell Beckham Jr. and adding, uh, Zay Flowers to that offense is you know, particularly impactful to Rashad Bateman. 
The whole question is, can he stay healthy? Can Lamar Jackson stay healthy? And can Lamar Jackson throw the football a little bit better? <laughs> like the like the accuracy, the accuracy is fine considering the defenses he's throwing into. It it ends up being though way too low, uh, too low volume, um, considering the the secondaries, the softness of the secondaries he's throwing into. So, can we can we rein him in? Can we get him to stand in the pocket and throw to Rashad Bateman because Bateman's going to be open. He's also going to have some scoring threats between Flowers and Beckham and Isaiah Likely and, of course, Mark Andrews. And then the running backs, J.K. Dobbins, is in line for a great year here. All of this is just dependent on Lamar Jackson and his ability to get out of the way a little bit, which brings us to Peter's question. Since Lamar Jackson is clearly superior to most quarterbacks, clearly. Like, he's he's the was a quarterback six for the season after – three monster weeks that <laughs> were just almost impossible to overcome. He was just so mediocre the rest of the season that he just he just watched one quarterback after another leapfrog him in season-long scoring uh, and in points per game, by the way. But um, let's see. Since Lamar Jackson is clearly superior to most quarterbacks, do you hate him because he's more handsome or is it just because you don't roster him in the DLF podcast league? Um, probably, probably both. I, I don't fault guys for being handsome. Um, but he is a very handsome man. So, you know, maybe subconsciously there's some kind of, some kind of envy type of component for me, uh, when it comes to Lamar Jackson. Um, I also envy Peter Howard for actually having Lamar Jackson in the DLF podcast league. That one, that like I can't even say that one with a straight face. I have no interest in Lamar Jackson in Dynasty Leagues. Uh, enjoy him. Uh, let's see. Why is Najee Harris good, actually? And y'all should shut up. This one I, I actually like. Uh, this one, like, I, I mean, I think that Peter Howard just kind of has an axe to grind. <laughs> we ju- I just had him on the show. We got to argue QBX a little bit. We got to talk about the various positions and... Um, you know, breakouts and and projecting breakouts and things like that. Like, it was a very, very interesting discussion, but clearly I missed the boat. Like, there were a lot of things he wanted to talk about. He's got a lot of axes to grind. He always talks about the grind. He's on that grind, the dynasty grind even. And it, it, it just has totally different meaning. He's talking about, I've got a lot of axes to grind here. I want to I want to grind that Rashad Bateman axe and the Lamar Jackson axe and the Najee Harris axe and I, I kind of agree with him on Najee Harris. <laughs> like this is something that that I think he spends a lot more time just kind of sitting around thinking about, which is great. We need that. We need somebody to do that. I don't think a whole lot about specific names. You know, like I'll think about kind of a core of players that I want in redraft leagues, Scott Fishbowl, uh, and you know, if if I feel like I'm a dynasty contender, kind of the players that I want to gather because I think they're going to be particularly good for the season. But 
I don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about each individual player if I'm not particularly interested in them. Najee Harris is not really on my radar. I think he's fine. Uh, I think that it's a little bit overblown. You know, the injury stuff, the, the, you know, the fact that Jalen Warren has to be on the field. He's so explosive. He has to be on the field. They've had explosive backups in Pittsburgh as long as Mike Tomlin's been there. And those guys still, they just don't get on the field. There's kind of no reason to believe that he's going to start now. Najee Harris is the guy who they trust in pass protection, who catches passes. You know, he provides a lot more security for Kenny Pickett. Is he still a a bell cow back? Maybe not quite that, but man, like certainly a workhorse who's going to get plenty of receptions, plenty of targets, you know, plenty of work out of, uh, and, you know, early down work as well, goal line work. Like that's all stuff that Najee Harris is still going to have a stranglehold on. So I'm with Peter on that one. Najee Harris actually is, uh, he's, he's a little bit of a, I'm not going to call him a buy low um, because I'm, man, like I'm struggling with the concept. I'm kind of struggling just with the concept of value lately. Uh, You know, talking to Swags and talking to Tommy B, you know, we're just kind of, I'm just kind of seeing like what they're talking about as far as what value actually is and where it actually comes from. And Najee Harris, maybe he does have depressed value at the moment, but now, I mean, if, if me saying to you that I think Najee Harris is better than, uh, you know, kind of the echo chamber is telling you he is and more valuable than what they're saying he is, then, you know, his value just kind of artificially increased just because I spoke it into existence. Like, if it means anything to you, if you agree with it at all, then all of a sudden, now there's two of us who value him, right? And the more people who get on board with that, the more the value goes up, and it's it's just, you know, it, it's, it is very artificial. So I don't know that he's a buy low. Uh, I just think that he's flying under the radar. I think that's kind of a better way to say it right now. Uh, and then finally, Peter Howard says, if vacated targets are real, why do rookie players not simply collect them in a bag or some other sort of containing device before the season? Seems suspicious. <laughs> so, like I said, axe to grind, right? Like, <clears throat> I mean, I said something on the episode that uh, that sounded a lot like vacated targets, um, but like this is a concept that Peter is is you know very well versed in. Um, he's really kind of known for at this point. And man, like it, it, if if anyone who you know just doesn't anyone who disagrees, I think just kind of doesn't understand the concept of targets and how ter- targets come to be. They're not just they're not just laying on the beach like seashells for you to just go pick up. So um no, I agree with him on this one too, but uh yeah, this is forever. That's that's Peter's quarterback extreme 
essentially. The only difference is I actually agree with his. He doesn't agree with mine. Um, ultimate, he he does agree with it. Once you're once I get him talking about it, he just he he really wants to disagree with it, and he tries his hardest to disagree with it. Uh, love you, Peter. Um, all right. Who else has questions? Uh, SMH at society has a question and he says, what can you reasonably expect to get for Daniel Jones in a super flex start 10 league? It's 12 teams. Um, would love to get some examples of trades going after wide receivers and a quarterback does not need to be in a deal. Um, which that helps a ton. If you don't have to get a quarterback in return and that's Part of the beauty of quarterback extreme is you're one of the few who has the ability to do it. You don't necessarily want to do it, but you could do it. You could trade away a quarterback like a Daniel Jones, take advantage of his value, and, you know, whatever that value means, um, and, and, you know, get back the, the biggest return that doesn't have to include a quarterback which really kind of raises that price. You know, uh, what I will say is, looking at the trade finder here on DynastyLeagueFootball.com, we're all over the freaking place with Daniel Jones. There's, I mean, Daniel Jones in 108 for 102. I mean, that's basically a quarterback. Uh, Daniel Jones for a 2024 first-round pick. Daniel Jones for Jelani Woods and and rookie pick 111. Daniel Jones and rookie pick 203 for Amon Ross St. Brown. Daniel Jones straight up for Stephon Diggs. Like this these are these are all over the place, right? Daniel Jones and a 2024 third for Kyler Murray in this year's pick 209. Like man, the Kyler side wins that twice. Right. Like these, these, here's one that's Daniel Jones straight up for rookie pick 111. That is, that's bananas. Like some of these, the value on, on Daniel Jones is way too high. Some of them, they're, it's way too low. And it just kind of reinforces, you know, what, what we've been saying. And again, credit to both Swags and Tommy, Tommy Blair, who both kind of, really started this discussion, really kind of planted the seed, but the value is just all over the place. And it just kind of goes to show it's not a a real like tangible thing that you can, that you can really kind of grasp onto. So how do we do it? How do we figure out, you know, what should Daniel Jones value actually be? Like the, the easy answer for me to, it, it it would be easy for me to just tell you it depends on your league <laughs> you know that like that's kind of the the answer that analysts have been giving lately it's league dependent and you know to a certain extent it really kind of is i don't think that it necessarily should be and i don't i don't have the answer to this this is something that i spend a lot of time thinking about um, while a lot of people are thinking about individual names of players, I'm just kind of thinking about overall, like, how do we fix this system? This is broken when 
you can see Daniel Jones go in one league for rookie pick 111 straight up and in another league for Stephon Diggs straight up. Or in another league, you know, for Amon Ross St. Brown, almost straight up. You know, it, it, these, it's, it's all over the place here. And we shouldn't have to live this way. We shouldn't have to, we shouldn't have to accept this. This is, this is like, it's, it's just such a, a watered down concept at this point. So, you know, we should really be able to, to think about, you know, if, if, if you're the one who has Daniel Jones and you get an offer of, here's another one, Jelani Woods in rookie pick 111. I mean, like that's slightly better than just 111 straight up, but not by a lot. So let's just talk about that one for a minute. Daniel Jones for rookie pick 111. You've got Daniel Jones in a super flex league. And I don't, I kind of don't care what, you know, which quarterback he is on your depth chart. You get that offer for rookie pick 111. Like, I don't care what league you're in. You shouldn't have to accept that. We should have just kind of a minimal ex- uh, acceptable standard for for the value of, a, you know, of the quote-unquote value of a certain player. And each player should have that. Daniel Jones, his should be well above 111. For one thing, you should be able to... Uh, I, you know, very simply, if, like, let's just say that you did want to replace Daniel Jones with another quarterback. You're not going to be able to do that at 111. You could, Like, even if you don't think Daniel Jones is a particularly good quarterback, which I don't, I don't think that he's particularly good. I also don't think that they're giving him a, a particularly good offense to work with. But, you know, you have to acknowledge the fact that not only is he their starter, they just gave him a long-term contract, a big long-term contract. Was it a mistake? Yeah. Is he going to be on the field for the next several years? Absolutely. And that's the whole key here. You know, as long as you've got Daniel Jones, you've got somebody who you can plug in at your super flex position. Even if you've got, you know, two or three guys who are better, if they're not available, they're injured, they're on buy, suspended in some cases, whatever it is, holding out for more money, whatever it is, you plug in Daniel Jones and, you know, he's still going to help you win games. He's still going to give you the same basic floor, the scoring floor that you've had, you know, with your other quarterbacks, generally speaking. And that's not even talking about the, you know, the streaming option with Daniel Jones. When you see him going up against one of the worst defenses in the league, when he's going up against the Vikings or the Bears, you know, he all of a sudden he's more than just start a bowl. He's borderline must start. And he raises your expected scoring for the week. Like that's valuable. That sh- that should be very very valuable. Well beyond, you know, rookie pick 111 where you're just going to get a dart throw at either wide receiver or running back or maybe tight end. Like, you're not going to get a starting quarterback. You're not going to get somebody that you know you can plug in at any time, whether you want to or need to. You know, it, it, it 
one of the two highest scoring positions, quarterback and super flex. So, you know, to me, like there should be, there should be a line that we draw and say, you like, you almost can't, I don't, I don't want to police people's trades. Maybe this person actually just hated, it just hates Daniel Jones, like personally or something. Maybe they're like a, uh, you know, a Commanders fan or a Cowboys fan or something, and just, just like I don't know how I ended up with Daniel Jones. I took over this orphan and saw his stupid face, and can't wait to get rid of him. Even if, like, if that's the case, you should still be able to say, "All right, but you know, I I'm not gonna let him go for less than what he's actually worth, and he's worth significantly more than rookie pick one eleven. He should be." So, I mean, if we want to talk names, so we can kind of test the Superflex theorem a little bit, you know, and, you know, it's been a long time since I've talked about this. The Superflex theorem is essentially in the startup draft, wherever you took the quarterback, once the draft is over, his value inflate uh, jumps by two rounds from the startup. So essentially if you drafted a quarterback in the 6th round, he's going to be worth more than the players taking in the taken in the 4th round once the draft is over. And that's just because you know the the value bump that quarterbacks get once they become scarce. They're not scarce in the startup. In the startup they're all available to you and so it's easy to look at this big pool of quarterbacks and say, "All right, I don't need to take one just yet." Because, you know, I have access to all of these quarterbacks. But then once the draft is over, now you don't have access to any starting quarterbacks anymore. Now you have to pay their actual price. You know, and a lot of times what that's going to look like is a two-round bump. You know, uh, looking at some examples here, I mean, so like Trey Lance and Brock Purdy right now have, there's brand new ADP at uh, dynastyleaguefootball.com, by the way, for the month of June. Trey Lance, Brock Purdy, Desmond Ritter, Matthew Stafford, those guys are all seventh round picks in uh, June's ADP. So if we go to the fifth round, you know, we're looking at, <laughs> there's Christian Watson, uh, Travis Etienne, Devontae Adams, Christian Watson, Ramondre Stevenson, Kenneth Walker, Debo Samuel, J.K. Dobbins. Yeah, that he's a he's he might be a bad example here, but uh, the rest of these, <laughs> Nick Chubb, Jordan Addison. You're not tell me if if you would not give any of those guys straight up for Trey Lance, Brock Purdy, Desmond Ritter, Matthew Stafford. You know, if if you needed a quarterback, you've got a contending team. Otherwise, you just drafted really well. You've got this contending team, but now you you just need one more quarterback to go get you a championship. You're not going to trade any of these guys straight up to get Trey Lance or Brock Purdy or Desmond Ritter. Maybe even Matthew Stafford. You know, I like it. I I. My belief is that most people are going to come to the to the realization that that's what it takes. And at that point, you're really just kind of editing your draft pick from the fifth round. You're in, acknowledging, 
You know, if I had been thinking ahead, thinking about, you know, what's the, you know, a, a, about the, the upcoming scarcity once this draft is over, I would have passed on Debo Samuel. I would have passed on Kenneth Walker. And I would have taken, you know, Trey Lance, Brock Purdy, Desmond Ritter. I would have took one of those guys instead. Christian Watson. I would have passed on Christian Watson. I would have took Desmond Ritter instead. And then in the next round, I would have took, you know, Jerry Judy or Hollywood Brown instead. You know, that's that's kind of, that's essentially the Superflex theorem. Well, it does get tougher at the top. For instance, you know, the guys who go at the very, very beginning of the draft, Pat Mahomes, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, Trevor Lawrence. Those are the first seven picks in a startup. So what's the two-round bump from, you know, pick 101 in the startup? We know that Pat Mahomes is worth more than that, but... You know how do you how do you quantify it when you know there there are not two rounds before he was drafted he was drafted with the first pick so uh, you know it, so it makes it a little harder um, you know guys in the first round even guys in the second round you know even to you like you can give them a one round bump that's kind of the best you can do but I still think you do it you know I still think that. Like you're looking at, uh, you know, Dak Prescott, Deshaun Watson, Tua Tungavailoa, and then some of the first round guys: Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Ceedee Lamb, Bijan Robinson. Like again, if you need quarterback help and you can't find anybody else, and especially knowing that most contenders are going to go for, you know, the high end quarterbacks who help them can, at least in theory, help them contend more. You know, they're going to be willing to give up one of those wide receivers or B. John Robinson to get that upgrade at quarterback. So, anyways, you know, back to Daniel Jones, he's a third round pick. So I don't think that we're going as far as saying that he has, he's worth more than the guys taken in the first round. Like I said, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, CeeDee Lamb, B. John Robinson. Like, are you. Are you really going to like are you going to trade one of those guys straight up for Daniel Jones? I kind of doubt it. Uh Daniel Jones man, he's that that feels pretty high anyways for his value. I mean guys going below Daniel Jones, Travis Kelsey, Saquon Barkley, Chris Olave, T Higgins, Kyle Pitts, Jameer Gibbs. Drake London, you know, there's, there are a lot of guys there that I don't know that, that Daniel, his, his, uh, his ADP is really pulled up by one of the mocks. He went 19th overall. So that's how he made it all the way up to 27th overall, um, where he was typically going at the end of the round of the third round. But Anyways, yeah, it's hard to make the argument that he's going to get a two-round bump from the third round when the third round is already, especially early third round, is a little too high for him. But, you know, I, I do think some of, the, some of the wide receivers in round two, A.J. Brown, Jalen Waddell, 
Garrett, Garrett Wilson, Amon Ross St. Brown. The, that has to be close. That has to be like the that has to be the minimum bump that he gets once scarcity sets in. So I think that one of those guys you could probably get straight up. Now, of course, it's also going to depend on the roster constructions of the two teams involved. You know, the the team that has, you know, you've got Daniel Jones and you feel like he's a surplus. The team that has A.J. Brown, if they're desperate at quarterback, they'll probably do that, especially if they're kind of looking at a rebuild. They'll take the, you know, they'll, they'll pass on the, the older wide receiver, take on a younger quarterback, and, you know, have a little bit more runway for this rebuild. I think they'll do that. But a contender who has decent quarterbacks already probably isn't going to give you A.J. Brown. So, uh, you know, it 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 is kind of case specific, but uh, sorry, I'm getting distracted here looking at Kyler Murray's ADP. He has a spread of he the highest he was drafted is tenth overall, lowest he was drafted is thirty sixth overall. Standard deviation of eleven point three two. It's like. Where, where, like in a range where a high standard deviation is about five spots, his his standard deviation is eleven. <laughs> That's it. Like it just really, really jumps off the page at you. It's pretty crazy. Uh, Daniel Jones, um, yeah. It like if you, uh, you know, I I like I think that you just kind of you you really just kind of go down the list of wide receivers. I, I honestly don't see anything wrong with doing it this way. You know, come up with your own personal rankings for wide receivers, and yours are probably going to look similar to ADP at least. You, you'll have a few differences, um, and that's where you're going to get a trade done, by the way. But, you know, if you just list them out, um, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, CeeDee Lamb, A.J. Brown, Jalen Waddell, Garrett Wilson, Amon Ross St. Brown, you know, Chris Olave, T. Higgins. Like, that's how you rank those wide receivers. That's how ADP has them. But if that's how you rank them as well, and then you just offer Daniel Jones for Justin Jefferson straight up, it's not going to get accepted, most likely. But apparently, you know, especially with the volatility of Daniel Jones's value, how it's all over the freaking place, you know, there's some leagues where that gets done. And if it doesn't, if it gets declined, you move on to Jamar Chase. Try that one. That one's going to get declined in, you know, 99 out of 100 leagues as well. And then you move on to CeeDee Lamb. That one gets rejected probably in, you know, 90 out of 100 leagues. But I think it gets done in, in a few leagues. And eventually you just find the guy, you just work your way down your rankings sending out that offer, Daniel Jones straight up for that wide receiver. And eventually you're going to get a guy who you feel you feel good about, you know, and, and man, I wonder if you would get Chris Olave straight up. <laughs> like, I, I think that you should, 
but this is also an island that I live on. So for, you know, most leagues, most people. So he, Daniel Jones has a higher ADP uh, by a few spots, three spots higher than Chris Olave. Uh, and I wonder if that would actually hold up. I, I wonder if Daniel Jones gets you Chris Olave straight up. Um, that's where I say ADP is a little bit flawed and it just kind of, it's further proof that value is really just kind of flawed as well, you know, but anyways, yeah, just go down the list. Um, start with Jefferson. Why the hell not? Like, unless you've, unless your league has some kind of penalty for, uh, for sending a trade that doesn't get accepted because it's, you know, it's too ridiculous. Like, why wouldn't you try it? You know, never hurts to ask. I guess that's, that's kind of the bottom line for me. But, and I think eventually you, you break one of these guys loose. And a big part of it is going to be that you found the right roster. It's not about the player. It's not about the value. It's just about the roster. You finally, you found the roster where he doesn't like, they don't like the, the quarterback as much as they like the wide receiver, or they don't like the wide receiver as much as they like the quarterback. I'm sorry. You know, so it, it, you know, value is a flawed, very flawed concept, but that's kind of how we exploit it. We find the people who their value is different than ours. That's how trades get done. Let's see. Big boned FFB says, I feel like Pete has some issues. I think he just, uh, that's Peter Howard again. Um, he has issues with me. <laughs> uh, um, and I like I I don't think that they're all fantasy football analysis based. I think that they're uh, that they're all like I I happen to know that he has a problem with both my looks and my personality. So um, <laughs> he has issues with with uh, with every bit of my existence. <laughs> there you go. Um, but I don't think he has issues otherwise. Like I said, he's got some axes to grind, but, um, above all else, uh, it's, it's just, it's personal. (laughs) Um, all right. So for AMA in a typical fantasy matchup week in non-best baller DFS, is there a quantifiable advantage or disadvantage to having team stacks in your lineup? Uh, so quantifiable isn't isn't really a word in my, uh, in my vocabulary. I'm not a numbers guy. So like, if you want, if you ask me to quantify something, like I can tell you that it is quantifiable. I can't tell you, I can't quantify it for you though. Like that's not the type of analysis that I do. Um, it's the type of analysis that I make fun of. Uh, I call those people numbers, butts and laugh dismissively. So, uh, yeah, as far as the actual number, the actual, what's the actual, you know, quantifiable unit of measurement here, (laughs) um, that I can't tell you. What I can tell you is just kind of, you know, logically, intuitively, whatever you want to call it, uh, my belief is there is an advantage to stacking quarterbacks with their pass catchers uh, 
And even then, I don't think that I necessarily want to, you know what? I'm, I'm in, in some cases I would stack the quarterback with multiple pass catchers, regardless of their positions. Joe Burrow, I would love to stack him with Jamar Chase and T Higgins, because one of those guys is going to have a monster week. One of those guys is going to have a down week. You know, it, it, it limits your upside for the week knowing that one of your two wide receivers is not going to perform particularly well, but that the other one is going to do well. It, so it, it, it limits your ceiling, but it also raises your floor a little bit. You don't run the risk of two wide receivers having a dud game in the same week, you know, and leaving you with just nothing for scoring. Um, that's not something that I necessarily worry too much about. Uh, that's, you know, I, I, I still think that the, the bigger goal is upside. We want as much upside every week as we can get, because even if we lose the matchup, we still score enough points to help us with tiebreakers. That's kind of what we're going for. Uh, and I think that stacking the quarterback with his top pass catcher, Let's just say that hypothetically it's a wide receiver. And then also stacking that quarterback with their tight end. I Again, I don't have data to back this up. It just feels like that is the best advantage that you can create. What I don't think is a very good uh, what, one thing that creates a disadvantage is to stack any piece of the passing game with a piece of the running game. You know, because, so in the passing game, you know, both players can score, the quarterback and the the wide receiver tight end, they can both score the same number of points on the same play. Or at least close to it, kind of depending on the scoring. You know, but essentially... Joe Burrow throws a 24-yard touchdown pass to Jamar Chase, you basically just got double points for that, right? Whereas if Joe Mixon or, you know, whoever the running back actually ends up being Chase Brown, (laughs) because I'm not so sure about Joe Mixon uh, making it to the start of the season. Um, But, yeah, the, the running back takes a handoff, runs a 24-yard touchdown. You got some points from him, but Joe Burrow got absolutely nothing. All he did is hand the ball to the, to Chase Brown, who you know, who went out on to do all the work. So, you know, if every time the running back scores a touchdown, gains a yard, whatever, that's an opportunity that the rest of the offense does not have to score points. So, you know, it, it just kind of limits the upside that you're getting from the, the quarterback because you're shifting it to the to the running back. So I, I don't like to stack running backs with pieces of the passing game. I love to stack, and I think that it's a massive advantage to to stack pieces of the passing game, though, and start with the quarterback. And so this kind of comes back to quarterback extreme, right? Uh, you know, we could almost we could really kind of spell it Q B X S T R E A M because we're streaming the quarterback. That's what makes that's part of what makes it extreme is we're ex, we're streaming these quarterbacks within our roster. Uh, 
So, you know, if you've got, if you have the you know, five quarterbacks and each one of them, you have their top pass catcher. Um, and let's just say hypothetically that they're all wide receivers. So, you know, you've got, you've got those five quarterbacks and you've got their top wide receiver who also is just kind of their top weapon, their top pass catcher in general. And we're making weekly decision based on the quarterback matchup, right? We're saying, all right, this week I'm starting my quarterback four over my quarterback two because quarterback four has a great matchup here against one of the worst defenses in the league. And quarterback two has a, a difficult matchup against a very good defense. So we've, we've identified this opportunity for quarterback four to outscore quarterback two. If that actually happens, the most likely scenario is pass catcher one is the benefactor, right? So like to me, like the, the dream scenario, I've never been able to achieve this, but I've come close. The dream scenario is to have five starting quarterbacks and have the top pass catcher for each of those quarterbacks and stream both. If you're going to start the quarterback, stack the, the pass catcher with them. Stack the wide receiver because if the quarterback is in for a good game, the wide receiver should be in for a good game as well. It's, it's you know pretty unlikely that the quarterback has a monster game and gets close to, you know, hits or gets close to their ceiling for the week, and the wide receiver doesn't get a piece of that. And the reason I keep saying pass catcher, by the way, Pat Mahomes. Like, if you wanted to stack Pat Mahomes, you stack him with Travis Kelsey. There is no wide receiver on that team that you say, oh, man, like Pat Mahomes has this dream matchup, this tantalizing matchup, and it means that, Kadarius Tony is also going to have a monster game. Sky Moore is also going to have a monster game. Like I I we don't really have a way to predict those wide receivers, but we do know that if Pat Mahomes has a monster game, chances are Travis Kelsey does as well. And if they're in a great matchup for Pat Mahomes, it's a great matchup for Travis Kelsey. So, yeah, to me you you Ultimately, like you would, you would love to stack at least the quarterback in the top pass catcher, whether it's a wide receiver or tight end. And then, you know, it, it, I I also would really like to be able to stack the tight end as well. The only thing is, I don't want to carry that many pass catchers. <laughs> I don't want five of each if I only have to start two wide receivers and one tight end. So like that's that's a little bit too much real estate on your roster to give up that needs to be taken up by running backs. So that's the only thing stopping me from saying, yeah, stack the quarterback with his top wide receiver and his top tight end. <laughs> that's just I, I I can't quite go that far, but it's definitely worth it to stack the quarterback and the top pass catcher. And then if you can get the tight end or the second pass catcher at the other position, whether it's wide receiver or tight end, I think that's worth doing as well, but pretty low priority, most likely. What else do we got? Uh, last one was from Tommy B. 
uh, had an awesome talk with him a few weeks ago. We're going to have to do it again very soon. I also, him and I have a little bit of an announcement uh, coming up here soon as well. So, um, but for the moment, uh, we're just going to have this one way conversation. Uh, he's going to ask this question on Twitter, and I'm going to talk um, and bloviate completely unchecked, get up on my soapbox, and there's nothing that anybody's going to be able to do. Man, I'm really, really pushing it here. I'm really tempting fate here. Like I said, I am surprised that this episode is even happening. Um, and it's not too late. It's not too late for somebody to, something to strike me dead for trying to do an Ask Me Anything episode, especially when I'm getting so cocky about it. But uh, So let me just answer Tommy's question. Tommy said, can you talk through your process in dealing with multiple managers using a QBX approach? Do you allocate draft capital differently? Try to push pull assets to certain managers? So uh, there's, I, I think that there's kind of a lot to this, right? Like, first of all, does it affect us if we're, we're taking a QBX approach and somebody else is doing the same. You know, that that's part of the question. And I, I don't think that the answer necessarily has to be yes. You know, because again, we're not, we're not really doing it for the value piece. So it's not the influence on the market. Some people do it that way. And you can. And it's, and it's great. It's immense. It's a lot of fun because those every one of those quarterbacks has so much freaking value. Like I was saying with Daniel Jones, I mean, you just kind of go down the list until you find somebody who's who acknowledges the power of quarterbacks, and they're going to give you, you know, a wide receiver who was drafted earlier than Daniel Jones. <laughs> like, you can take advantage of that, and a lot of people like to do that. I don't. So for me, it's not about the value. It's not about the influence and the impact on the market. It's just about streaming. And so if I've got my five quarterbacks and I can stream quarterbacks every week, I kind of don't care what anyone else is doing, you know? So that's part of it is, does it even matter if they're doing it? You know, I, we, can, we, can certainly, we can certainly acknowledge, though, that there is... Uh, there is an impact on the market. You know, there's a little bit less opportunity. Honestly, like it deflates the value just a little bit, not a ton, but just a little bit for your quarterbacks. Because part of where that value comes from with quarterback extreme is the fact that you're the only one who in your entire league who can afford to give up Daniel Jones without getting a quarterback in return. You have enough quarterbacks on roster that you can do that. Nobody else can do that. So they have to deal with you. Well, now if you've got a competitor, there's a second, you know, there's a second player in the market, then all of a sudden you don't have quite as much leverage. Because if your price for Daniel Jones is too high, you know, then they can just go to go to this other quarterback extreme roster and ask for Kirk Cousins instead. You know, and, and almost get the two of you into a little bit of a bidding war if they wanted and really drive that price down. So it does affect the market, 
And I think that we have to acknowledge that. It also, you know, if if nobody is making any trades, if we're both taking a QBX approach, I, I also think that a byproduct of that is we both have a little bit, you know, we, we both have stronger uh, contending rosters. And, you know, kind of the standard at wide receiver, running back, and tight end goes down a little bit because our baseline scoring just because of our quarterbacks for these two teams, let's just, we're just saying hypothetically, two teams went quarterback extreme. So we've got 10 quarterbacks, you know, taken out of the market, you know, out of uh, leaving us, leaving the other 10 teams in your league with 22 quarterbacks to fight over. If they're lucky, they got two of them. (laughs) Somebody got three. Two teams got three of them. Everybody else got one or two, you know? So those teams, like, they're they're really going to struggle to compete on a weekly basis without having options at quarterback, having to just accept whatever happens with their quarterbacks. If, if you know, if, if all they have is, is, you know, Jordan Love is one of those two quarterbacks, I mean, there are going to be some weeks where he performs very well for them. He's going to, he's going to give them, you know, enough of a floor that they can be competitive and the rest of their positions can, uh, can, you know, kind of support that and, help raise their total score for the week. There's also going to be plenty of times where Jordan Love just gives you a dud game and you just have to accept it. <laughs> you have to just let it happen. You know, so all of a sudden, the teams that have the QBX rosters, you know, they don't they don't need nearly as much from their wide receivers and running backs because they already have such a they have a nice scoring buffer they've got a scoring cushion created by the two quarterbacks in their lineup who they determined to be startable for that week you know based on matchups based on abilities you know things like that so those guys those those two teams you know they already have kind of a a higher baseline score than the rest of the league and it really kind of lowers the standards for the players at the other positions for those two teams. So that's kind of the other impact that that would have on the rest of the league. So yeah, again, there's, there's kind of a lot, a lot to this question. It's, it's a great question. Um, and it's something that, that Tommy and I will have to talk about next time he comes on as well. But you know, it's there, you know, kind of identifying, the effects on the league, on the market, on, you know, on, on, um, scoring across the league. Like that's, that's, those are things that you have to consider as well. Even if, again, for me, I, I, I kind of don't care about the value. Uh, I just want those quarterbacks, you know, for, for streaming purposes. So really the more people in my league who go QBX, and the more quarterbacks are taken out of circulation by a small segment of my league, the better, uh, you know, the the higher potential my team has. So, you know, I so I I'm all for it. I like it. 
as far as the market though, um, because you know, that's still something to consider. You know, I, I, I mean, I tend to think it's really just kind of a, a, a pull type of system anyway, well, or, uh, let me think about that. I'm trying, I'm like trying to draw on my my uh, my days in business school to think about push and pull uh, systems. So uh, there's a lot of push already involved, just kind of regardless of what the rest of the league, you know, what what the league's makeup looks like. And and again, this could be something that I'm kind of isolated on. This could be another one of my islands, but. You know, I look around not just my leagues, but just kind of the entire game, the entire industry, the entire universe of fantasy football, and I see the way wide receivers are being valued right now. And I'm kind of anticipating the fact that there are going to be, you know, more quality quarterbacks coming into this league. We're not going to have we're not going to have starters like Jordan Love and Kenny Pickett, and Derek Carr, you know, not to mention the guys who are about to retire, Matthew Stafford, Aaron Rodgers, you know, those guys, possibly Russell Wilson before too long. But, you know, we're not going to have Sam Howell and Mac Jones. Like, those guys aren't going to be start. And then, you know, whatever the hell Tennessee thinks they're doing, at some point we get back to a point where the quarterbacks are strong from top to bottom, all 32, you know, the as as some of these young quarterbacks come into the league, now we're gonna get next we're gonna get Caleb Williams and Drake May and you know, we're gonna we're gonna get an, a little bit more infusion. We still have young guys at the top, Pat Mahomes, Josh Allen, you know, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts. Like these are still young guys, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. You know, so we still have some good youth at the top and it, it it's going to sustain itself long enough to see more good quarterbacks come in enter the league and you know give us more quality starters um to, until we get back to that point where we used to you know where late round quarterback was was viable JJ Zacharyson has been talking about the death of the late round quarterback how you know now just because of the makeup of the quarterback position, now we're kind of going early round quarterback uh, because you've got to get one of those elite guys while they're around because there's such a massive drop off once you get past the top, you know, eight, 10 quarterbacks, something like that. Well, the more those guys come in, you know, the more we get to Caleb Williams players in and and they don't have to be massive they don't have to be smashing successes but you know even if even if they're good enough to be viable fantasy starters they're long-term NFL starters you know then you start to see guys like Dak Prescott to Atunga Vailoa those guys kind of get pushed down into the quarterback two range and next thing you know you've got you know, you've got very good starters in the later rounds of your of your drafts. And even in the one quarterback leagues, you know, where right now it feels like you have to take those quarterbacks early. 
it gets back to a point, you know, you get back to that kind of that equilibrium again, gets back to that point where you've got enough, there are enough good quarterbacks that you can wait on them again, the way you used to, the way you used to wait for Matt Ryan and Joe Flacco and Phillip Rivers, you know, rather than taking, you know, Andrew Luck early and Michael Vick, (laughs) you know, guys like that, you were taking them super Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and Drew Brees. Like you could have took those guys early. You were just fine waiting and getting, uh, you know, just kind of solid starters like Matt Ryan and Phillip Rivers. So we'll get back to that point and I'm kind of anticipating that, you know, I'm also anticipating a, a little bit of a revival from the running back position. I'm anticipating you know, and and I don't. That one is a little bit more difficult to to project, just because. I mean, we've got good running backs in the league right now. Some of them are old. That's part of the problem. But part of the problem too is, I mean, NFL teams right now are. You know, some of them are are still kind of slow to to come around on the running back position. This is why Saquon Barkley and J.K. Dobbins are talking about holding out for more money because the running back position is being devalued and they're undervalued and underpaid right now by, you know, for the for NFL purposes. But, you know, that's another one that we're far from equilibrium. We're far from the saturation point at running back. And the more of those guys that come in, this was supposed to be a class that was going to really kind of stock us up. It didn't end up being that way. Uh, we, you know, but we we did get, you know, two young, two more young, very quality starters. I think that Roshan Johnson is going to uh, join that mix. Um, I think, you know, kind of in the same vein as Damian Pierce last year. I think, you know, Roshan Johnson could be that. I think. There's there's an argument to be ba- made for Zach Charbonnet. It could be Kenneth Walker. It could be Zach Charbonnet. And I to me, it's a coin toss. But either way, like one of those guys comes out of this and we've got a good young starter there. You know, we just, we, we need more of that. We need more Bijan Robinsons and Jameer Gibbs. Um, and, and they need to, we need to refresh that running back position with younger players. We've got good older running backs, you know, Aaron Jones still holding down a job, Christian McCaffrey, Derek Henry still holding down jobs. Um, you know, uh, Dalvin cook and Leonard Fournette available, Kareem hunt available. You know, we've got, so, you know, we've got a lot of guy, Alvin Kamara still kind of hanging around, you know, they're like, there's some older guys that, really kind of need to be replaced and make this position look uh, a little bit stronger, a little bit younger, um, and, and a little bit more tantalizing. We also just, we also just need one of those seasons where the running backs just kind of take over, you know, we, we had that not even that long ago. Um, you know, Christian McCaffrey and Ezekiel Elliott and, uh, you know, just, uh, the, yeah, big list of players, but anyways, you know, Todd Gurley, you know, you, you, once we get back to a point where the running back position is 
viewed as just as valuable and just as powerful as the wide receivers. Like I'm kind of I'm 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 kind of uh I'm preparing for that, you know. And I and in fact I want to be prepared for it to happen as early as twenty twenty three. I thought it could happen in twenty twenty two. It didn't. Okay, that's fine. But it's it's just a pendulum swinging back and forth. And right now it's swinging on the side of the wide receivers. It's going to swing back to the running backs. Running backs are going to become the position of power again. And then, you know, they're going to have, they're the going to be the ones with all the value. And that's when I'm going to be scooping up wide receivers. And that's when I'm going to be telling you that I think you should be considering wide receivers instead of running backs. But until we get to that point, if everybody's chasing wide receiver scoring, and I mean they're they're just kind of tripping over it, like they're not actually trying to run it down. It's just everywhere. Uh, they're just kind of you know running into it. Uh, you know, in in the meantime, I'm kind of scooping up running backs, and I'm anticipating that revival essentially. So. You know, as as far as market value, you know, it, like I said, I think it's already kind of a push system, um, both with uh, running backs to a certain extent, with quarterbacks, and then with draft picks. The because the other thing that we're that we would see in a scenario, I haven't seen very many leagues where multiple teams go quarterback extreme. I've got a couple of them. Uh, and they're a little tough to, <laughs> they're a little tough to manage, but, um, you know, I, it, it doesn't happen often. <laughs> it's funny because I like, you know, people who dislike QBX, they say, I know it's the hotness. I know it's everybody's favorite strategy. It's not, it actually is. People really dislike the strategy. <laughs> there are some people who are intrigued by it, but even then they have a hard time actually doing it. It's it's not an easy thing to to commit to at all. It's not comfortable, <laughs> uh, and it's probably not even that fun. You know, I like I think that it's probably fun to have Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson on the same roster. I think that's probably fun. It's not particularly fun to you know at the at the turn instead take you know, Deshaun Watson and Tua Tungavailoa. Like that's not that's not fun for anyone. But it, it to me it's it's the more effective strategy. But you know, anyways, not many people do it. It doesn't happen often. Uh I kind of think though that if it did, what you would see is the people who don't have quarterbacks, first of all, if they're not if they're either not able to trade for a quarterback because nobody wants the you know the QBX rosters those managers don't want to trade away their quarterbacks cuz they want to stream them within their roster so either they're just not available to the rest of the league or they're available but the price is so freaking inflated that you're just kind of like what's the point why would i trade you know, my best wide receiver for Daniel Jones and then just have this massive hole at wide receiver. But now I've got Daniel Jones and he's, he's fine, (laughs) you know? So 
one of those two scenarios is is going to be the case a lot of times and what they're going to pivot to is draft picks they're going to try and uh you know they're going to try and stockpile draft picks for the upcoming for you know for next year's class they want 2024s and the goal is going to be to either draft you know Caleb Williams and Drake May or it's going to be to trade those picks for undervalued quarterbacks like Kyler Murray. And so I kind of think that the, you know, the, the, the demand is going to be for draft picks. I think that's kind of where the pull comes from, right? That's where, that's where we start reacting to immediate demand and saying, uh, you know, like this feels like the cheap way for people to get quarterbacks if they don't have quarterbacks they're going to have to wait through this season in order to do it. And then, but then they're going to have some shots at quarterbacks. And that's, you know, to me, that's a great time to, to react to that immediate demand, trade them those draft picks and say, best of luck. And, you know, for this year, let them just kind of stand down, turn this into an 11 team league, 10 team league, nine team league, possibly even a two-team league. Like I said earlier, the two QBX rosters are the only ones really competing for a championship. I mean, you're both going to win some money and one of you is going to take down the the entire league. So, you know, encourage them, encourage the rest of the league to stand down and to sit back and wait for 2024 and then to, you know, to gobble up some quarterbacks in a rookie draft. They're not all going to be able to do it. <laughs> They're just kind of going to be stuck in the same purgatory, you know, for for the foreseeable future. But if that's what you know, if if, if that's the only uh, course of action that they feel like they have, I like I said, let's encourage that. <laughs> let's let's keep them doing that. So, so yeah, I think our our push system is the quarterbacks and the running backs kind of anticipating an increase in demand uh, as those positions, you know, slowly restock and rejuvenate. And then the pull, I think, is with draft picks, future draft picks. Uh, I think that's most likely to be the immediate demand. And it's a little bit sneaky, right? Like, you kind of think that if you've got two QBX rosters, the demand is going to be for their quarterbacks. But like I said, people figure out really fast that either those quarterbacks aren't available or they aren't available cheap enough. And the pivot is to the to the draft picks. That's that's kind of my feel on it. That's my sense of what would happen. Um, again, I haven't seen a lot of it, uh, so I'm I. It's not that I have any particular insight. I'm just kind of guessing, just thinking about, you know, if I was if I was a non-QBX team in a league with multiple QBX rosters, that would probably be my, at least my initial thought. I would find out pretty quick that that's not going to work <laughs> because everybody's going to be trying to stockpile draft picks and I would look for something else, but... You know, I think that my initial instinct would be to say, 
I, I need as many draft picks as I can get because that'll be the cheap way for me to get some quarterbacks next year. So I hope that answers the question. But like I said, that's something I'd really like to talk more with Tommy about the next time he comes on. Uh, that is all of our questions, I believe. Let me make sure on that. Yeah, that's it. We got them all. Uh, we ran down the gauntlet of, uh, Peter Howard questions. Um, I asked, I, like I answered them as if he was asking them in earnest (laughs) and I'm very well aware that he was not, but, uh, still appreciate the questions, appreciate the, uh, the, uh, the opportunity to, uh, to talk about some stuff that I wouldn't typically talk about, uh, like, um, how handsome Lamar Jackson is, things like that. Um, so thank you to Peter for those questions. Thank you all for those questions as well. Uh, some very good, very thoughtful questions, as always, as to be expected from my Superflex super friends. So really, really appreciate it. Uh, let's, yeah, let's wrap it up for the week. And as we do that, I'm going to ask you for a quick favor. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on literally every podcast catcher, every platform available. So wherever you're listening to podcasts, you can find the Super Show and you can subscribe. And a lot of times you can also rate and review. And that really helps me to get out to more people. Uh, it, It really kind of expands our reach. So we can involve more people in the conversation. We get some great questions like the ones I just answered. And sometimes there are questions that you also had in your mind, but didn't didn't really know it until you heard it. And that's how we really zero in, really focus on the topics that are the most useful to you, my super friends. We all just get together and brainstorm those questions and then we knock them out together. So if you would rate and review, that would be a huge help to me. Like I said, just help me to uh, to get out to more people. Uh, all right, Twitter. We're back on Twitter. I'm trying to fall back in love with Twitter. I can't imagine that it's the right way for us to share ideas. You know, like you can have, you can be having a perfectly good conversation with people, and there. Let me, let me start let me clarify something here there isn't a qualifier to have a conversation on twitter i I, like i'm not elitist to say that oh if you don't have x number of followers if you don't have a blue check mark which is completely meaningless nowadays but you know if if you don't write for a website or have your own podcast that's not it at all i welcome absolutely any conversation with any any person of reasonable intellect and motive, (laughs) you know, but the problem is, man, you just get those trolls just coming in saying LOL and telling you you're stupid. And it's just like nowhere else in the world does that opportunity exist other than on social media and particularly on Twitter. You know, if it like a, there's a Mensa meeting and just, you know, random jackass just gets to walk in and just start making fun of everyone for being stupid, even though, like, there's some of the smartest people on earth, but okay, go off. 
you know, that that doesn't exist anywhere else. And it really kind of muddies the waters when we're trying to to talk strategy and talk value and talk the concept of value and, you know, just just talk about this game, about a game that is that we're so passionate about. You know, the 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 ability of a random troll to just, you know, that they, they just created the account just to just to talk shit to you. <laughs> that the fact that that is a variable here is infuriating to me. But Twitter is still very useful to me in a lot of ways. It keeps me connected to a lot of you, my super friends, and I get more and more DMs from each of you. Uh, you know, I, I get to know more of you. Um, and I wouldn't have that opportunity if it, if it wasn't for Twitter. So we're going to go back to Twitter is a part of this. I don't love it. <laughs> I don't love Twitter, but I love my super friends and I love the access we have to one another because of Twitter. So at Superflex Dude on Twitter, there's also at Superflex Show, but man, I don't check that. I don't check that one at all. Get at me at Superflex Dude. DM me, tweet at me, send me your trade polls and I'll retweet them for you. I'll even comment on them if I think that the voters are getting it wrong. And yeah, let's talk Superflex on Twitter. I also have Discord. I should really be pumping that out sometimes too. Uh, I'll have to I'll have to work on that a little bit more. Uh, right now it's just a league chat for one of my one of my I won't even call it a listener league. It's not really that. Just a league that I commission. Um, but that could be a great place for super friends to meet and chat as well. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add that to my notes and start talking about that a little bit more as well. For the time being, I'm on Twitter. I super flexed you. This episode was dedicated in loving memory to James the Brain Cthulhu's. Thank you to DLF for the platform. Thank you to Heart and Soul Radio for the music. And above all else, thank you for your questions and thank you for listening. And until next week, stay sexy and super flexy. <laughs>